are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. We're in a very weird break in between games five and six. Probably the first time I remember, or likely the first time in NHL history, there's been such a big break between games. But that means we got five games to cover and two games to look forward to between the LA Kings and the Edmonton Oilers. This is Caro. How are you tonight, Vardy? Feeling good. I I appreciate the break, personally. Thank you, basketball. Thank you for injecting this random three-day break in only this series. No other series has... I don't even think there was a two-day break in any other no, series. No, I mean, there has there has been in the past two-day breaks. In the past, but yeah. I've never, I don't remember ever there being <laughs> a three-day break. Like, it's, it's great in terms of how the series has gone, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the Kings finally getting healthy. Blake Lazat is coming back in game six. So, in that respect, it's great. The funny part is the Clippers got blown out so it doesn't even matter i know they could have they could have played thursday night and yeah uh, obviously you can't account for those things but it, it is interesting and i'm not even sure why like do you know why like we don't have a start time for saturday at this point no i it's strange cause, right because the lakers games tomorrow tomorrow Correct. being uh, friday. friday and uh so i i'm the only thing I can guess is that it's somehow contingent on what other NHL games there may be and them trying to like not televise them simultaneously, that kind of thing. I, I'm purely speculating. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I guess in theory, the Vegas Winnipeg series could be. At, well, no, because that'll be that's, in Winnipeg. That's, that's done. Well, it's done that's, now, but I mean, planning wise, they were waiting. Sure. Maybe they were waiting for that series, but still, that game's in Winnipeg. I don't know. I, I it's whatever. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. Just don't give us a day game, eh? And that, that's lot, ex- like, dude, that's exactly what do I was that. saying. Like, don't do that. I don't want to see just, no one o'clock start time on Saturday, especially with the so. Kings. The Kings afternoon, uh, afternoon game uh, performance history. Not early risers. Those kids. No, I suspect it'll be an evening game with the Vegas yeah. series in pretty much wrapped up here and yeah. Yeah. the Clippers eliminated. And yeah, I expect seven o'clock Saturday night, game six of what has been exactly what we anticipated in terms of our health, in terms of our the amount of hours that has been taken off of our lives. Yep. Exact look. Just listen to our playoff preview, and I think it's it's gone exactly the way yeah. we kind of expected. And that's not a pat on the back thing. Um, and we're not geniuses, trust me. But man, these have been we're just we're just logical people. That's that's what it comes down to. Well, I just mean they have been intense cardiac games, right? Comebacks in almost every game, three overtimes, I believe, and yeah. That's all in five games. There's still two to go. The two most important yeah. games are yet to come. So let's take a deep breath. I, this podcast is the deep breath podcast. This, <laughs> this break is the deep breath break. <laughs> and we're going to get to do it all over again in game six. And we're going to kind of talk about the series. I don't know if we want well, We can go game by game. Why not? Sure. Game one. It seems like a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um. 
playing from behind, which sadly has been a theme uh, for this series for the for the Kings in pretty much every game except for one of them. Well, I guess not. That's not true. They they had a lead at some point um, in in game three as well. But yes, game one, game two, game five, all right. Start wise, yes, but even, even yeah, but even game three they had to come back because they scored first and then McDavid scored yes two yes. mirror goals yeah 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 right? so they were trailing in that one too but yeah I mean the I Kings just mean being down led. early the being Kings, down they just, early they just haven't led much like that's what yeah. it comes down to like just have yeah. not led much in these games and when that happens usually a 3-2 series makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. um but when you really break it down, and starting in game one, you could see this. The Oilers have had the puck 70% of the time in this series. It's been a lot of bend but don't break from the Kings. That's been the theme from what I've seen. And in game one, they had to rally back big time. Um, they were down 2 nothing, or they were down – were they down 3 nothing in that game? Uh, I believe it was – two it was two then kempe got one i want to say yes so i'll, we're prepared I'll for back this and remind episode, myself obviously. yeah 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 <laughs> we know what we're doing uh it just, it just feels like a lifetime ago doesn't it it really does it truly does the three game three day break notwithstanding it truly does feel like a lifetime um but it also feels uh yeah they were they were down two that's right yes. that's right yeah, they were down two, and then no one scored in the second period, and then they scored really early in the third. Kempe had uh, had his first goal at nineteen oh eight in the third. That's right. That's right. The Oilers got one back. Um, that was Cody CC <laughs> scoring there, uh, and then very shortly afterwards, Kempe got his second goal, and then ultimately, right at the last minute with 16 seconds left or 17 seconds left in the third Kopitar tied it pushed it to overtime and then in overtime I follow with the game winner I don't think Cody CC scored in this series but didn't hold on one second no here. no oh it was dry sidle. I apologize I apologize it's, it's that makes almost that makes always dry sidle. yeah that's no I'm sorry but I was hovering over something else I'm looking on on money puck and sorry yeah you're right no Cody CC definitely did not score there's a 95% chance that it's Dreisaitl. Yeah, yeah, you could always yeah, exactly. assume it was Dreisaitl, so that's fine. Yeah, my bad, my bad. Yeah, and I mean, you just look at this graph on on Money Puck, and it is just a steady wave of orange all the way through until the very, very end when the Kings come just close enough to matching in terms of expected goals and stuff. I mean, and that's, this is, it feels like, it's been this way. It's not just, oh, look at the graph, but the game tells a different story. The game feels like this graph. The game feels exactly like this. Overwhelming wave after wave after wave of the Oilers, controlling the puck, getting the higher danger chances, Corpusolo playing lights out in the first couple games, keeping the, his team in there, giving them an opportunity to claw back and get these goals, which Frankly, a lot of them have not been good goals. I think that's the most, if there's one truly disappointing part here, because 
you knew the Oilers were going to get their chances. You knew the Oilers were going to possess. You knew the Oilers were a superior offensive team. What bothers me is that we we haven't been able to consistently get to the Oilers goaltenders enough to to really just keep this less overwhelming. Like I think there was more opportunities to be ahead than there than there we've really seen because any even grade B opportunity on Stuart Skinner has turned into like either a goal or a really good scoring chance in my opinion. Uh, to kind of touch on your point about the Kings generating more offense, it's just it's been waves and waves and waves from Edmonton. So I think what we talked about in the in the series preview was that if the Kings are going to play this game where they wait for a mistake, that we don't like their chances. I think that was yeah. one of the main things we we mentioned, and a couple of things in game one that that kind of come to the forefront and become a theme in the series is that the Kings are going to play that game. They're going to play the one three one. That's they're going to stick to it. They're going to wait for counter. Uh, punch opportunities. They're going to wait for the Oilers to make a mistake in transition, not in their own mm-hmm. zone necessarily, but they're mm-hmm. trying to put up that wall in the neutral zone, create a turnover and go the other way. That's essentially what it's been. Um, another theme, the Oilers are going to be good on the power play. Mm-hmm. In game one, they were only one for three. Only. <laughs> That's 33%. They are now sitting at 60%. We'll, we'll get into that. Um, but staying out of the box was a big theme. It kind of became a theme that the Oilers need to stay out of the box too. That started to kind of show in game one as well, mm-hmm. which to the Kings' credit, it's like they've had a good power play. It's just unfortunately doesn't matter or hasn't made a difference enough in the series. It made a difference in game one. Like we said, I follow overtime winner. <clears throat> And I was feeling pretty good after that. I don't know about you, but I, I thought in every sense of the word, the Kings stole that game. And if you listen to all the Kings men, we were lucky enough to be invited on to talk about game one. I think we all kind of felt that, okay, they stole that one. I think they know they got away with one there. And from then on, everything would kind of settle down. And that was kind of the vibe there. And Game two looked like it was going in that direction. I was I was very happy with game two in general, even though I'm sure if you bring up the money puck chart, it's still gonna no, be No, actually so this that's the, I was about to tell you the money puck chart for game two looks a lot closer. Uh, game two All right, all right, I'll let you go. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm, am I am I mixing I don't think I'm wrong here. Well, I'm just looking at expected goals all situations. Sure. And it's still really lopsided compare it to game one though yes of course of course compare it to game one game one it was just like look at look at i agree that it's lopsided look at where it's at by the beginning by the end of second period when the game is tied when the kings come back and they bridge that gap and they bring it and it's tied and even even after costin gets that you know, long shot goal. You know, it's a 40 foot shot that that kind of beats Corpusalo. But even after that, the Kings are in striking distance and then it kind of falls apart. 
you know, I, I and I don't want to blame that goal. I don't think it was, oh, that goal went in and and they gave up or anything like that, but they were in it well into the into this game. Like two thirds into this game, it was it was pretty even and then once that goal goes in, it, it just gets a little harder for them to get back, in my opinion. I, I agree, and that's why I started off saying I felt a lot better about Game Two. Right, the optics were better. I think yes. you could feel it, you could feel the Kings were countering a lot, a lot more. They had the puck a lot more. Right. I think that that goal by Costin, it's like, what are you gonna do? It, it's a tough. It's a tough play for Corpusalo because he doesn't see the puck until it's past Jersey between Jersey's legs. And at that point, you got about a second to react to it. Does he want it back? Yeah, of course he wants it back. It's yeah. not it's not gonna make his highlight reel. Um yeah. and, and and even after that went in, I just felt like, okay, if that's what it's gonna take for the Oilers to win in Edmonton, I still feel like fine. Still yeah. feel good about it. You know? And at, it was at that point where I really thought, okay, Villardi's back. He scored in game two. Tremendous. Oilers, you know, like you mentioned, got a long shot goal. Something that Corpusello probably stops eight out of ten times. And we're going back to LA. Like, that was the high point for me. Even, yeah. It, it truly was. Like, even you could say, well, no, the high point should be LA's up 2-1 in the series. But I think my confidence in, in, in this series was at peak there. Yeah. I could, and, and not for nothing, I think having Velarde back, for me anyway, was a big part of that. Because I, we had talked about this, that one of the big um, advantages I felt like we felt like the team had was that if you had a healthy roster, if you had a healthy Gabe Velarde and eventually had a healthy Kevin Fiala, the Kings bottom six, so to speak, it just is a tier above talent wise compared to the Oilers bottom six. And so just having Gabe back, I think changed the flow and the vibe of the game tremendously. And I agree with you. I, all the momentum was in the Kings favor going back home and then increased even further with the results of, of game three being what they were. First Even lead again, yeah, exactly. First lead in the series. First lead of the series. First lead of the series, and then yet again, Oilers get two back. Uh, those are the two McDavid goals, right? The two McDavid power play goals that shots came from exactly the same spot, just went to different corners of the net. Correct. Uh, um, and then Kempe gets it back, and then pretty much back and forth until the the game winner at the end. Um, from was it more who got the who got the game winner? I yes, so, it was yeah. more on that controversial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh it. yes. To think how how much time that was spent talking about that was it or was it not a high stick? Like it's, it's such an irrelevant conversation now. It is, um, uh, and I think this is around the time I think game three when it became apparent that the one thing that I did not expect to happen was happening and that's the Kings getting dominated in the faceoff circle. Mm -hmm. You want to, you know, a lot of people pointing at Nick Bukestad, but you know, we see the ice time breakdown and Nick Bukestad didn't take every faceoff. Although I will say there were plenty of times where Woodcroft threw him on for the faceoff and pulled him right, off. Right. And then he changed. Yeah. He'd have a five second shift. Correct. And 
that part immediately like my spidey senses tingled in a negative way because I fully expected Kopitar and Dino to, to get the better of the face-off matchup throughout the series. Like that was one of the things you kind of park in your head is like, okay, the Oilers are probably going to have a lot of possession, but they're going to have to earn that possession because the Kings are going to probably outduel them in the circle. Mm-hmm. Not happening through three games at this point. So mm-hmm. a little cause for concern, but I think the big thing, again, game three, um, you start to see that the Oilers are are scoring on the power play at a devastating clip. Yeah. And I'm not... They were two for four on the power play in game three. Mm-hmm. That's 50%. And the Kings were two for five, which is fine, but the Oilers were getting less power plays than the Kings by a significant margin at this point of the series. Right. The problem is they were capitalizing just as much as if not more than the Kings were on the power play. So... Again, we every podcast you've listened to, every article you've read that was previewing this series talked about special teams and how important they are. And by game three, you could that's on full display for the world to see. And the Kings are up 2-1. Right. Another theme, I guess, I'm bouncing around a little bit, but McDavid was the Kings did a good job on Connor McDavid in general. The problem is Leon Dreisaitl went right. that was his <laughs> turn to go super say on, on the Kings like McDavid the last season. Yeah. And I don't know what was, what the number was by game three, but going into game five, he was on for every goal. The Oilers had scored. He was on ice for 14 of the goals. The Oilers had scored up to that point. Yeah. Which is the most insane stat is of this series, even more so to me than the ridiculous power play percentage that the Oilers had right and just to touch on the power play a little bit and i think this gets into you know issues we've had with the power play all year they we've been very vocal (laughs) that this sweeper wedge plus one method whatever they've been trying to employ um it either just doesn't work or the Kings just can't, couldn't consistently execute it for a lot of the year. They seem to maybe have it figured out towards the second half of the year. But when you come up against a absolute unit like the Oilers power play, you have to be perfect. You, no matter what strategy you're running, you have to run perfectly because um, they can beat you multiple different ways. And so for me, the frustrating part with with watching the Kings PK against the Oilers power play is I didn't feel like the Oilers really had to do a whole lot to, to score those power play goals. You know, it, it, I didn't get the sense that it was like, oh man, they're just, they're moving the puck so well and the Kings can't keep up. It's like, oh, it's high. It's outskilling. I mean, both of McDavid's goals were basically him standing near the half wall, near the top of the face-off dot, inching closer and closer to the face-off dot and picking a corner. You know, it, it's, I'm not saying they're stoppable shots because they're they're pinpoint and he's the league's leading goal scorer. So clearly he's got the talent to put the puck where he wants to put it. But the frustrating part for me is that there's no challenge on yes. the shooter. That it's It's just basically saying like, this is your ice ye goal scoring god you 
score from here? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I, I just, I, I hate that. I hate that passiveness, which you brought, you touched upon as well with the 131 that like, and I don't know if that's a product of, of fear or you don't want to get beat. I mean, because they've been coached this way the entire year, but it just looks so much worse against this team when you're passive. Yeah, the, the penalty kill, 100%. Like, there's, we've seen aggressive penalty kills over the years plenty of times where teams are, you know, closest man to the puck is just putting the pressure on, you know, going, acting as if it's a 50 50 puck and challenging the puck carrier. It, it, there has not been any of that from the Kings PK. Again, I don't know if that, I can't tell you with certainty that being aggressive would be any better. Because right. I, I don't know, maybe the Oilers just move it around twice and, you know, there's a wide open guy at some point if, right, you, if right. you're trying to be aggressive, right? But the optics, like you said, just look like that triangle on top, Dreisaitl, Bouchard, McDavid, with uh, Bouchard at the top of the triangle. It's just like, that's all they're doing is just get, moving it to those three guys right. and figuring out which one of them is going to shoot it. That's pretty right. much it. And they have shot it and they have scored it many times. Uh, I don't think, I, I mean, maybe once or twice they went into the bumper. We'll get into game four, but I think one time Nugent Hopkins and Dreisaitl connected on a bumper play. Mm -hmm. uh, but other than that, I haven't really, have you seen, like, I, it just seems like a very... No, there's no movement. Yeah. Right. It's, it seems like a very, every time the Oilers are on the power play, they're just standing around by everybody. Yeah. Like the Oilers are going up and down or like the downhill play where McDavid scored twice, but it's not like they're switching. It's not like they're making these correct, you know, in and outs. They're just kind of waiting for the Kings to either fall asleep or just or just give them a lane. That's or, really or what just it be is. so scared of the cross ice pass that they're just like, you know what, you shoot it, Evan Bouchard. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think that's what it is. And, and I realize that's that's somewhat baked into the system that the whole point of the of the diamond triangle wedge, whatever you want to call it, is to prevent the cross ice pass. It's to prevent the the slot shots and the backdoor plays theoretically anyway um but on, on the same hand you're just kind of like man it there has to be a way that you can get this power play of theirs to just perform to their average i'm not even saying like league average right so the, what was their regular season clip was like 35%, some, 32. something silly, 32%. Okay. And that was still the greatest power play of all time. They're scoring like 66% of the time right now. <laughs> you got to laugh at that. I mean, that's, that's an insane number. There's, there's penalty kills that are, that are, you know, like 66%. Right. It's, it's, it's silly. So whatever you're doing is clearly working worse than every other approach that the league tried against these guys and i realize you can't just change your entire strategy within a couple games but there's modifications you can make you can encourage more aggressiveness on the part of your sweepers or the or the the side guys on the half walls i mean try something different when they score on you the, the same way over and over and over again at a rate that's even higher <laughs> than their historically good power play you're doing something wrong here and uh they were doing a lot wrong yeah in game four 
Oh, um, game this four. Is, we're probably going to spend a lot of time on this. I was, uh, I was about to say I was fortunate enough to go to that game, but I don't know anymore. The first period was great. Kevin Fiala, I think, being activated. And on all the Kingsmen, I kind of mentioned, would you be surprised if Kevin Fiala shows up in game four? And it's great. I'm right again. Yay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he showed up in game four. And I don't know if there was the ener- there was an energy boost just from him being in the lineup. Uh, in the post games. They mentioned that there was. I think McClellan said so much as just him being in the room was was a big boost. But the Kings come out flying. The expected goals bear that out. The Kings were in control of that game. Probably the, f- the first time all series where they controlled a period or mm-hmm. even a stretch longer than 10 minutes was in game four in the first period. Velarde scores uh, pretty early on. Uh, the Kings seem to have found open ice. There was just suddenly this open ice all of a sudden. Kings are moving the puck up, catching the Oilers a little bit in the neutral zone. Um, everything seemed to be clicking. Arvidsson puts Desjardins in the friggin' spin cycle. It was beautiful to see. And then Kopitar on the power play. And there was a feeling in the building, man. I'm telling you, like, disbelief, perhaps. Uh, the energy was off the charts. And I remember I, I, I was with my cousin... And there was a, in the building, there was a feeling of celebration. Mm-hmm. And that's when the sickening feeling took over my body personally. Because mm-hmm. I was like, three goals is not enough. Mm-hmm. Like, what's a goal number? With, with this much time. With, with this, dude, exactly. And that's another thing. I, I said, it's too early to be up three, nothing. Mm-hmm. And I, I made a lot of stupid comments just from my, just from my Kings fandom history. I just said, like, I'd rather be up one nothing going into the second. Right, because like, it, it keeps the most absurd game things. Yeah, the most absurd things start coming out of your mouth. But then you realize, oh, no, it's not absurd because you've seen this movie a lot of times. Way too much time on a 3 nothing lead for this team, for the Edmonton Oilers, that showed you they could score at will when they're, like, dialed in. Goalie change, I thought, okay, they're... It's not a panic move. I understood the move, but I also know that Jack Campbell has struggled mightily this season, even though towards the end of the season, he had some good games against the NHL's bottom feeders. Fine. And I thought the Kings challenged them a little bit early, and and he did not look comfortable at all to me. On -hmm. some of the saves he made around the net on Deneau, I remember there was a save he made. He just couldn't find the puck. It would hit him, but he just couldn't find the puck. And, And you start thinking to yourself, all right, well, we're going to score on this guy at mm-hmm. least one and we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But no, did not happen that way. Kings start taking penalties, man. Again, it's just, it was Edler for tripping. That's yeah. right. And yeah. I remember thinking bad penalty. Mm-hmm. And of course they score yeah. and it takes almost no time Yeah, for them to score. Evan Bouchard from the point, it's going to be one of three guys, right? And that was it. And then, on the second one, which is Dreisaitl's goal, I don't know if Dowdy got tripped behind it. I don't think so. I know there was a lot of like, oh, they missed the call on McDavid for the trip. I don't know if that was a trip, to be honest with you, but I do know that Drew Dowdy put himself in a very tough spot right? in that in that particular play. Turned the puck over, Dreisaitl's in front. Because he was trying to turn, right? Like he was behind the net. He was trying to net, reverse. Or, yeah, he was yes. trying to reverse. 
But again, it's just against McDavid of all people. Yes, yes, <laughs> and I get it. Like the mojo's flowing, things are going good, but yeah. I don't think he got tripped. I think that was a straight up turnover, and and the Oilers scored right away. And that I, dude, I knew it. At three two, you know it. What's good? You know what's coming. Because it was early, it was halfway through the period, but that's like early enough where you're like, right. this game is going to get tied. Right. Now, when I say I knew it, I didn't say I knew it, they're going to lose, but I was like, this game's going to get tied. And you, uh, going back to the ridiculous stuff you say as a fan, when it was 3 1, I turned uh, to my right and I said, next goal wins. <laughs> Which is insane to say. <laughs> that's just. Yeah. But the way the game was flowing, you're just like, this needs to stop now because it's not going to get any better. And uh, man, I, the Kings, I thought controlled so much of the first. And I don't think they were particularly horrible in the second. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think they were bringing the same game plan into the second period or not playing the same way. Right. Whatever was working in the first was not, evident in the second and i know they were probably still playing the one three one but the energy was kind of lower i think i don't know if i think the team's veteran enough to know that okay these guys can come back on us mm-hmm. but the flow of the play still told me that they looked a little relaxed and they were very much in prevent mode in the second period yeah and and the charts kind of bear that out as well that being said, they still managed to get one past Campbell, Matt Roy of all people. In the third. In the third. Yes. With 15.32 left in the third. And that's, that's, that's more the type of lead that you go, okay, they, they got punched in the face. Maybe that woke them up a little bit. They're back ahead. This is when they can potentially lock this down and take this home. Maybe not in the way that it should have been, but still. And by the way, they, I thought they were much better in the third period. Oh, they were. They definitely were. were. They were pressing. They were looking for holes. Arvidsson had his breakaway. Was that in the third? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. It was in the third with about five minutes left, I believe. And that would have pretty much iced that bad boy. And, uh, What are you gonna do? He the guy makes the save. I, I'm sure if RV did it over, he probably goes backhand and and puts it tweeners the way Matt Roy did because yeah. Campbell really opened up yeah. on the fake shot. But then Arvidsson decides to go forehand, and you know Campbell's wishboning essentially and gets the save. Right. right. Um. And again, I thought five minutes left and and the clock's ticking down the oilers didn't really look like they had much going man like they were trying but the kings were just stifling them getting it out right like getting the puck one three one was working in third like getting the puck lobbing it out getting the puck lobbing it out and then around the three minute mark mcdavid breaks the one three one gets passed and it's just such a weird play because it just lays there for evander kane but I think the Kings weren't great on the entry. They looked kind of scrambly as soon as McDavid broke that wall. Like everyone right. was kind of like, I don't know what they were thinking. Everyone was just like, we need to get this out now. And the puck just went to Kane. Not a good goal from Corpus Allo. Probably his worst goal of the series, in my mm-hmm. opinion. 
worse than the Hyman goal that we're about to talk about. I, think, <laughs> I, I totally believe this was the worst goal he's allowed uh, in this series up to th- not just up to this point, but up to the point where we're recording right now. Right. Swimming to his right. And Kane just lets one go quick snapshot, quick release, far post glove side. And it, he looks so off his angle, man. He looked mm-hmm. like he was, if he was like six inches to his left, I think he gloves it. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the flow of the puck or just the presence of McDavid again just confuses everybody. But everyone was lost on that play, and so was Corpusalo, unfortunately. And that one hurts. Not much else to say. That one really, really yeah. hurts. Because, like yeah. I said, it looked like the Oilers were getting stifled, getting frustrated, and then one, again, just a shot goes in. And that really zapped the energy out of the building. Mm-hmm. Because now it's a one-shot. But, you know, there's two ways to look at it. You know, we were up 3-1, and now it's a one-shot game. Or you're going into overtime against the Oilers, and it's a one-shot game. Right. Right. And that's that's kind of been the flow for this entire series, right? Like, you can look at it as they're getting beat up, but they're still ahead 2-1. Or you can just be like, man, they're getting beat up, and the Oilers are eventually going to break through, and they're going to beat us, right? And so... I don't know, man. I don't know. It, it's just there's been a lot of discussion as to whether whether this was the game that everything kind of broke, and then this carried over into the into the following game, or whether the following game was its own unique entity, and and that's that's really where it seems like the team broke. Um, because I, you and I both discussed like what type of game we thought game five was going to be and we were like no they're going to come out they're going to it's going to be just like the last few neck and neck you know claw scratch bite bend but don't break keep it close and feed again off of the energy of the success that you had from the previous game the success now of of having some healthy guys back in the roster third line going to take over again felt good honestly even 2-2 going no, back to Edmonton, did. and, I, and, I, I didn't feel like this is over oh my god they have all the momentum i can't believe they tied the series i never once felt that way i was like no. they're just it's going to be even again and before we get into game five just the hyman goal yeah um it's a can't remember if the kings were changing but it's bouchard coming out from behind his own net with no pressure, of course, because they, you know, come on, <laughs> no one's going to press him, right? The way the way the Kings are playing right now, but stretch pass to Hyman. I thought Dowdy, tough to say, man. I, looks like Dowdy's just like, all right, well, everything looks fine here, Corpy. You got this. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, if everything looks fine and it's just Hyman alone, I would like to see Dowdy close the gap there. It, yeah. It's just. I don't think there were any other Oilers threatening. Right. I don't think Hyman had a pass option. No, because um, Anderson was there with Doughty. It wasn't a two-on-one. Like, Anderson was in position. He had the other guy. So, Doughty kind of played it down the middle of the slot. Could have very easily slid a bit more over towards Hyman. But he only decides to do that probably just before Hyman shoots and, and really does nothing in terms no, of defending the release, on that play. It's past the release at that point. Yeah. And it, uh, so, you want to nitpick? Yeah, I think Drew could have. I think Drew could have closed out there. 
Um, but series is tied going back to Edmonton, not the worst case scenario. So, so I was pretty, I was pretty positive after game yeah. four. I was, and I, I even tweeted something about like, Hey, if someone told you pre-series, we're going two two back to Edmonton, you'd probably be like, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. You got, you got a great, a very positive response from of course. literally everyone on Twitter who has just been just, just the best people really this week. I got to say been great. Yeah. Twitter has been great. Um, blocked a few people. It's been fun. It's been <laughs> for right. what it's worth, by the way, that I don't know if you've ever really dug deep into these money puck charts, like every goal, they kind of tell you what the percentage chances of scoring from a shot from that location, et cetera. Um, for example, uh, Seidel's, uh goal, the third goal at the end of the second period at a 62.3% chance of going in pretty high, right? Hyman's goal to win the game had a 5.5% chance of going oh, in. <laughs> and, and it's stuff like that that makes you go, all right, well, what does that mean? Like, that's just from a location. That's just a shot. You go, yeah, but what's the chain stats? Uh, the Kane one is 6.2. Yep. 6. Rough 2. goals. Rough goals. I don't think anyone who saw those didn't say they were bad goals. Yeah. And, and somehow I still thought, still thought the high, uh, the Kane one was worse than the Hyman one. And the Hyman one just kind of handcuffs Corpus Solo, right? Yeah. Arm, armpit. But you got, you got to have a save there, man. You have to. It's not it's much. not about how many you've made up until that point. It's about making the next one. Jim Fox likes to say that all the time, right? Like it's just, it's not, it's when you make the saves. It, like there, your team needed a save. Those two goals needed to be saved. It doesn't matter that you let in three before, four before, whatever. Like those two cannot go in. Not not at this level of the of the of the game for what's at stake. Yeah. So we were positive going into game five, as we said. Super, super thing, positive. The main thing was like, okay, you know, Fiala's back in the lineup. That yeah. line showed that they're that they could press and give the Oilers big problems. That was one of the main things we were looking forward to, and, and we saw it, you know. Uh I the Kings controlled I would say most of the game. Uh, mm-hmm. outside of the second, and even in the second, they weren't, you know, getting absolutely dominated. We've already won in Edmonton, and let's just play the game and see what happens. And that and that's really – I know you mentioned you don't know – or there's been a lot of conversation about does momentum carry over. You know, is it is it a loss is a loss, or it doesn't matter how you lost in a playoff series. Um, the extremes, right? Like everything's mm-hmm. extreme. And as we've learned, usually reality is in between the two extremes. Mm-hmm. So first period of game five, well, I, I would say it went exactly <laughs> – how we we thought it would tight game uh mm-hmm. defense was non-existent goaltending was i, I was gonna say goaltending was non-existent but man corpus solo right out of the gate makes like three huge saves i'm yeah. talking about backdoor cross ice passes that the oilers found and he's making big saves two on dry sidle i believe which i assure you the percentage of those going in is not six or five no <laughs> Yeah. Now he made he made some big ones here. There's there's a couple and there's like one on Nugent Hopkins that was like a 25% chance of going in. There's uh one here 
Cody McLeod had a 22.4%. I mean, big, those are big numbers. Costin had a tip in chance, 15.3. Like those are, those are legit scoring chances. You know, the first goal is what I think what I want to talk about. Yeah. That's the cane. That's the cane one. Yeah. Here's one thing that I immediately know. I I absolutely despise this play from Gavrikov. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember it. When it was on the kill and he took it all the way down. Yes. And and it's a terrible play. It's it's an awful play. First of all, first of all. You're going one on three, Gavi. Okay. Yeah. And I understand you're pumped. And I understand that you do have an offensive touch as you've proven. But he flies down the wing, attack yeah. in attack mode. Yes. And takes a backhander. Yes. That is the lowest percentage shot you could think of. A backhander from the boards. Misses the neck completely. It rings around. The Oilers don't even have to set up a, a Just break come yet. Right. They're, yep. they're going. Yep. And he's stuck way deep. And he's stuck way deep, and he's got a hustle as, back. Right, as one of your primary penalty killers. I think uh, Jesse interviewed Cameron Gauntz after after that one, and even he pointed that out and was like, in, in the kindest way possible, he's like, you know, that's that's a play that I don't like to see as a defender. And I was like, man, he's being so kind because I'm I was watching him. someone else brought it up. I haven't yeah. listened to that yet, and I will because I love Cameron Gauntz. Yeah, um, it's it's the, tremendous, yeah. as always. But it's... I saw him hustling down and I was like, okay, he's got a lane. The smart thing to do here, go behind the net, pull up, pin it, you know, some low key stuff, buy time, let your team change. Maybe rim it even, maybe, maybe even in that moment, you slap it all the way back down into your zone to your defending, you know, guy who's standing there. That means something, anything, but how he finished that play once he got past the blue line would have been better than what he did. He could have dumped it and gone right back and it would have been a significantly better play. Now that did not that did not directly lead to the goal. I understand that, but it completely it, throws off. I'll tell you what it did. It left the Oilers on the power play with enough yes. time to set up. Yes. That's what it did. Yes. The first unit was gone. Yeah. You kill and it's such a big moment in Edmonton to kill a penalty. Yeah. It's a big moment, dude. Like they're scoring 60% yeah. and you had it. You had the kill. The, had the kill in the sense that Dreisaitl, McDavid, and Bouchard are off the ice. Right. And now, like, you know, Derek Ryan is going to... You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. Anyway, I was so frustrated. And Corbisalo, look, he's playing it deep. And, and Jim Fox mentioned this several times. The two McDavid goals in LA, too. He's, he's deep in his crease because he's scared of the cross-ice mm-hmm. pass. Like, mm-hmm. it's just... he's You know... He's been great. Listen, he got crossed up six times in the first freaking five minutes the Oilers were going door, right? Like, he had to go post to post on two saves in the first three minutes of the game. So, I don't blame him. Like, I understand you're like, okay, okay, Corpy, challenge the shooter. Trust that your your guys are going to take away the cross ice. I think there's an argument for that because Dreisaitl's off the ice. So, you're looking at Evander Kane, like, if he goes cross ice, he's not going to Dreisaitl. He's going to, like, I don't know who he's going to, because I can't name you the freaking second unit of the Oilers. I mean, maybe Hyman. I guess I don't know. I don't really I guess. know where Hyman. But here's, here's just the other the, anyway. Yeah. Here's the other problem with that. I understand that fear, that deep play, trying to stop the back door or whatever. Is that not a conversation that you have with your defenders, with your penalty killers, to be like, "Look, man, 
I'm I'm playing deep or even in between coaching sessions, in between games where you go, look, Corpy's been feeling like he needs to play deep or he has been playing deep. Because that's another situation where I look at that. I, I want to say it was actually, was it Gavrikov who was covering Kane on that shot when it came? Maybe if he hustled back in time, he's certainly on the ice. But so that's another one of those plays, much like the McDavid goal, where Kane, again, inches, 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 and takes the shot from pretty much the faceoff dot. So if your goaltender is playing deep because they're worried about the cross pass and being able to get from post to post, in my mind, that's the defender's role to step up and prevent the shot from coming and picking a corner. It's another one of those like you're standing there, you're passive, you're, you're adding nothing to the defense of this play if you're just standing there and letting him inch a little closer to, to a better shooting lane. So it's Matt Roy, and he's... okay. He's starting to close out on him, and King shoots it between his legs. So similar mm-hmm. to it's similar to Dursey Costin play, where like I don't think Corpusalo's picking it up in time to react properly. Because even if you look at Corpusalo's reaction, he's looking down, mm-hmm. and as soon as the puck beats him, he like and then he goes up. Yeah, he he po- pops his head up like, okay, I didn't see that. Yeah. So again, it's it's yes, the closeout I think should be there was no close I, I just watched it. There is no closeout by Roy. There's I take none. it back. There There's is none. none. He backs up. He yeah. literally Kane is skating up and you could see Roy either stationary or kind of starting to glide. Like backwards. doing the weird squat. Yeah, the thing. the in between thing. Like Yeah, that does nothing. That adds nothing. You're all you're doing is creating a tighter screen for your goaltender to not be able to actually see where this puck is coming. You're compacting yourself. And, you know, there's no vision there. You're, you're a bigger screen farther out. It's, it's, not, it's not defense. It's nothing. So I will say, just watching it again, Corpus All didn't see it until it was too late. And it's one nothing. And then the second one, like, I, how, how does your heart not go out to Corpus All on that? It's a bang-bang a play with Dreisaitl cruising in the front. It's from McDavid. Right. right. Off the far post and in. And... Quentin Byfield had a rough period, and this was where it started. <laughs> the, the roughness started. Uh, he's on Dreisaitl. So it's not necessarily that it's his, it's his man, so to speak, but it's his man in that moment, mm-hmm. and he just doesn't tie up the stick. Mm-hmm. He's got a stick on him, but it's it, it, it's not... He really doesn't either. He's, he's trailing from behind. Dreisaitl gets the shot off, and then Quentin throws like a weird cross-check at the end of I mean, there's there's... There's so much gap there. There's so much gap there. Right. And it's a five on five goal. So it's right. not like it's just take the stick, Quentin. If yeah. you just lean, took the stick and lean into him, that doesn't go in. Yeah. And so before you could even settle into your seat, 920 left in the first, it's two nothing. And right. not that at that moment I felt like it's over, but you're like, okay, now the Kings have to fight back again. I think the reason why this one it felt a little bit worse once those two happened is because I was getting the sense that the Corpy was tiring out a little bit for how many shots he'd stopped for how many huge saves he'd come up with. Not to say that those were easy saves. He should have made them, but it was just like, okay, now you're going on back to the last game. You're talking about two bad goals right? That ended the last game, that tied and ended the last game. And now two additional goals. You're just like, 
okay, I think he's I think he's hitting a little bit of a wall right now. Like he's just been under siege for so much, and and then now he's now he's getting bad defense in front of him too. You know, like he's not even getting like the simple defense that should be helping him out in this scenario. Yeah. That one, if you look at Corpusalo's body language after the goal, if you just watch him, just keep your eyes on him after dry sidle scores, he looks frustrated. He looks yeah. gassed too, like you mentioned, but he's just sitting on the ice kind of like the body language is like, what what more do I have to do here? Like yeah. this is this is from behind the net to the front of the net, like what do you want yeah. me to do? Yeah. Fortunately the Kings answer pretty quickly. I think Ayafalo got one back. Good shift from Kempe Kopitar, I follow. So right out of the gate, Quinton's done. <laughs> His first line yeah. duties are no longer needed. Yeah. But then he succeeds in coming back on the ice a few minutes yes. later. Yes. And again, and again, five this one, on five. This one's worse for me. This the coverage on this one was way worse for me than the than the Drysidle goal. Cause it's not Leon Drysidle lethal goal scorer eluding you in the slot. It's it's freaking Brent Kulak just you know hovering down from the slot and you're completely clueless that he's there and by the, the way the it's this one post. this is byfield's man from the second the puck yes. goes into the zone yes. he's marking him from the start of it right before this by the way quinton's in the neutral zone gains the red line and he has a chance to go deep and he f- he just flubs this backhander that the oilers knock down and go right the other way right so it's just and and look at look at corpus Allo. <laughs> again yeah Look at Corpusalo after this. Yeah. Yeah, this he's is this is like, a... dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, how can you even blame him? Like, he's tired. He's like, if I'm gonna do this all night, it's not gonna be good. For any yeah. goalie, really. Uh, but again, the Kings get one back. Right. On a neat little play by Carl Gunstrom. Really beautiful pass. Nice little play. Good sequence yeah. from him in general to just yeah. get it deep. First man to the puck, got it to Kempe. Kempe sent it back down to him. A nice little touch play. And Kempe makes no Into mistake. Space. Yeah, makes no mistake. Goes roof on Skinner, who, again, just looks not absolutely good. average. He's not a good goalie. That's the most frustrating part about this for me, man. If they could just, if they could just get 10% more on him, it changes the flows of these games so much, but they're just constantly on their heels so much. It's It's aggravating very aggravating and then the second period of this game that's where yeah man i think this is this is really where you know you want to domination yeah complete you want to talk about like oh was it when they was it when they gave up the lead and in game four no because they came back and they got the lead again you know yes losing game four is a is a is a kick in the nuts no question but i never felt like the fight was out of them until the second period of game yeah five. so exact same way every game has gone like back and right. forth right no one's getting blown out but yeah the second period i mean i don't think i don't remember the kings doing any literally anything in the second period they did of no i think they i think they put up the stats bally put up the, the stats the telecast put up the stats at the end of it and it was like no high danger chances, like two shots or something ridiculous like that. And the Oilers were just utter, utter domination. Uh, if you look at the shots the Kings put up in that period, only one shot had a better than 
three percent chance of beating Skinner. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you've got a twenty-one percent chance by McDavid, a twenty-seven point three percent chance. Let's see, um, eight percent, four point two. The goal that went in for the Oilers is seventeen point five percent. But it's a deflection, the right. first one. And and it's in the second period where you start seeing that the Oilers' bottom six is caving in the Kings. Yep. Specifically, the Bukestad line is starting to really assert their dominance. And when all talking about the Fiala line, like they got absolutely hammered by this line. Bukestad scores on the tip. That's it for Corpusalo. I think we talked about it. It's probably a hey guys, wake up. Uh, we're in a playoff game here type mm-hmm. of pull. Similar to what Wilcroft did with Skinner in uh, game four. But unfortunately, it doesn't take long before the Oilers are up five to two. Bouchard whiffs on one, knuckles one, (laughs) hits Hyman in the face, beats Copley, who is now in net. And right there, I think that's the game. Yeah. This This is also interesting to hear Cameron Gons talk about this. Cause he was just like, he basically was just, he, he's like, if Bouchard had actually gotten what he wanted to get on that shot, it might not go in because it would end up being potentially a straight clapper, you know, right into, to where Corpusalo typically would be, or Copley. I'm sorry, where, where Copley typically would be or into a shin. Yeah. I mean, it would be, it would be where you would expect the shot to go, but it's because he flubs it and the momentum is so drastically in the Oilers' favor that it hits Hyman in the face and it still yeah. goes in. Like, Because Copley tracked it well. If you look at the replay, he's, he's yeah. going to get his yeah, glove but he's on d- it. Right. Yeah. Right. At that point, you're like, all right, it's it's done. It's done. Agreed. Game was over. I, there was, I guess, some pushback from the Kings in the third. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, it's not even worth talking about that sixth goal, which was off of Copley's glove. Yeah, it's just a bad goal. What are you it's just do? a bad Copley goal, but it doesn't matter. On it. He whiffs on it, it hits like two players. Right. And it goes in. <laughs> For what it's worth, Byfield finally gets a goal on a great play by Velarde. You know what? I'm yeah, let's give, talk about I'm that. Gonna, yeah, I'm going to give, I'm going to find the one positive from this game, like I mentioned in the tweets. Gabe Velarde had, that, that line had a great shift, but Gabe Velarde had a tremendous shift there. Created the turnover, first man pressure, threw a hit. Stick lift goes up back to Fiala, I think, and Fiala goes back down to him. Am I remembering this correctly? I think so. And then no, I, I think then, he forechecks, doesn't he? He strips, if I remember strips. correctly. Yeah, he strips, but it went to Fiala and then back down to him. I oh, think maybe. Fiala got an assist on the goal. I think he stripped the puck from behind the net, went put it up to Fiala on the half wall. Fiala drove in, dumped it back down to Velarde behind the net, and Velarde delivers. Just just a, a dime of a pass right to Byfield. And I swear to God, if Byfield didn't score that one. <laughs> Here's my favorite thing about that goal. It proves to me, without a shadow of a doubt, that Gabe Velarde is a gamer. And for two reasons. First of all, to, to strip and then to make the play, obviously, is outstanding. Uh, but after the goal, you see the Kings go for the like the huddle. Byfield's obviously like shoulders slumped, like, yeah, 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 yay, yeah. yay, we scored the other guys. Velarde goes up to the, he's screaming at Byfield and like the guys, like, let's, like, let's effing go now. Right. 
Right. Whereas the rest of the guys are just like ho hum, like yeah, we got yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah. guy is amped. <laughs> like he is. Amped. I've never seen him not excited for a goal. <laughs> His or someone else's. <laughs> but it's it's the attitude of it, right? Like yeah. it's. It, to me, that's a guy whose body language is saying like. There's no reason why I can't do that three more times if you just right. give me the goddamn ice time that right. I need. Just put me right. on. So I right. love that. I absolutely loved seeing that from him. He honestly you know? has been one of, if not the best. I mean, no, I can't say that because Kempe has had a tremendous series. Yeah. I have no, to Kempe's give credit where it's been, the, it's not Kempe has been, yeah. yeah. But Gabe, for the games that he's played after not having played for an extended period of time, looks tremendous out there in my opinion yeah, just all around game wise he does and yeah. and nice to see him play center and still be able to yeah thrive. that's that's yeah, a, that's, that's a nice little that's an interesting wrinkle i wasn't expecting that to come around but i think that opens up some possibilities if they want to explore that for next season as well that that solves a lot of problems if that actually becomes a thing yeah it would um and we'll we'll cover that whenever <laughs> Whenever yeah. the time Sometime in the future when is, we're happier yeah. to talk about those things. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Game six. Uh, sorry, before we go to game six, I have to say this. Kings are down two goals and then three goals. And I understand that the King system is the one three one. I, I get that. I get that it's you know, someone tweeted me, he's like, What do you, before the playoffs, like, what do you think about the one three one? And I just kind of be like, dude, like at this point it's not even worth talking about. They're going to do the one, they're going to run the one, three, one beginning to end like park mm -hmm. But I am a little concerned when I watch, when I'm watching the game and it's five to two and the Kings are dumping the puck in and going one, three, one. It's very fresh. We've talked about this. I don't know, 15 episodes ago where I, I, I've mentioned I don't like that forecheck in general. I like it situationally, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. neutral zone play where it's just like, okay, we have the lead. Let's go into the one three one. Fine. But to to run it and just to set it up when you're down three goals is really mind-blowing to me for an NHL team to do that. And to to not have a plan B in that situation, I think is the most frustrating thing. To not be like, okay, guys, we're down three. Let's, you know, when we dump, let's send two in and pressure mm -hmm. these guys right. who have shown you that they can, they flub the puck. Darnell Nurse, Cody CC, Desharnay has been a human highlight highlight reel in the worst way in this series. Even Ekholm is he's not he's a good player and he's a good puck mover, but he's not right. Roman Yossi like he's. Right. He's still at home. Like go, like go. Bouchard, yeah. fine. You want to tell me Bouchard? Okay, I'll give you Bouchard. But at that point, for the Kings not to pressure was very disappointing to see. And I think that's when you realize that game was over at four two five two. Yeah, I, we. The problem here, and in general with the one three one, is that you're inviting them to attack you with speed and you're saying i dare you to get past our three right like that's that's your main line of defense your one is just there to like well you're for the point is to force the dump that's the point yeah, of the one three that's one. what i mean that's what yeah. i mean but my so you're you're one you're four you're one four checker really the efficacy of that is minimal quite frankly 
you're trying to basically direct them towards one direction right, you're and then your three yeah, yeah and then your three sets it up and then you force the dump and then you know your one who's back there is supposed to go and retrieve give everyone a chance to to set that up that's going to work against a lot of teams it's not going to work against this freaking team you you know that on its face it's not going to work against this freaking team because this this team the oilers team lives and dies on controlled entries and has some of the most talented puck handlers in the world. And instead of potentially forcing the guy who has the puck, who's not as talented as McDavid, Dreisaitl, Bouchard, Kane, etc., to make a forced play, potentially make a bad pass, potentially des- in desperation trying to get the puck to one of those guys, mess it up, you're sitting back at the red line and letting them just hand the puck to Connor McDavid, letting him gain speed and attack. It's just not, I mean, it's, it's insanity. It, it's not a system that works against these guys. Connor McDavid lives to break up one on twos. And how the, many the, pen- penalties has he drawn? Just try, just breaking the just one, breaking one on twos, yeah. just breaking between two defenders. Cause they can't keep up with him. You know, you're, there's very few defenders who can keep up with him when he's full speed with the puck trying to slip between you guys. It ain't going to be Sean Dursey. It ain't going to be, you know, God bless him, but Dowdy's taking a couple penalties on him in that way. You just can't. You can't. You're much better off trying to defend the initial pass to that guy than you are trying to stop that guy from entering in on you. I agree. Press the D to make a play they don't yeah. want to make. Because yeah. right now they're making the easiest five foot passes. Right. Darnell Nurse is strolling up the ice. Right. And just looking left and right and just trying, okay, well, what six foot pass am I going to hit here? Right. And I would say if you didn't have good four checkers, okay, maybe you can make a good argument. You got Trevor Moore, man. You got you got your, guys like your Harvard team is Sin. built to That's be a good four checkers. Team. They're built they're exactly crazy. Exactly. Crazy. You have a team of four checkers and you're telling them not to four check. I mean, it's it's just, it's it doesn't make any sense to me. You're telling Blake Lazat, granted he's not playing, but I mean, in general, you're telling Blake Lazat, like, just hang out at the red line, buddy. We'll let them come. I mean, that's not where he's in, in, in spaces. It's not where his strength is, man. His, you know, you got to get him in tight spaces. All right. It's, this, I don't know. This sounds too much like a postmortem at this point. Yeah, let's talk about game. <laughs> let's talk about game six. It's not over yet. Listen, it ain't over. over. It ain't over. It ain't over. And but still time for adjustments, Todd. Still time. I think. And and this goes back to the three day break. This feels like the best thing that could have happened to this team to have this three day break right now, given how they're coming off of that game five loss. I think if if game six was two days after that game five loss. I feel a lot worse about it. But three days in between, hell, we couldn't remember in detail what happened in game one and game two. I think you push the clean slate narrative. I think you push the, this is the first time our entire team is going to be healthy narrative. And you go in there with game six, guns blazing. Yep. I think Corpusalo, three-day rest, probably good for his yep. body and his mind. Uh, just... Three days of not seeing the Oilers come at him in consecutive waves is probably good. I right. hope he's not having nightmares. But yeah. 
Uh, yeah, interesting to see where Lazat will slot in. I assume he'll go to the center of the third line, I assume. Uh, but but <laughs> if you don't want to do that and you want to maybe keep Byfield, Velarde, and Fiala together, suddenly you could have Blake Lazat on your fourth line. Right. Not the worst thing. Uh, Blake Lazat and 4CN maybe move Kapari to the wing and maybe your fourth line won't be such a circus. <laughs> yeah. Then yeah. maybe you could play them and be like, I trust you. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be watching game six with the least amount of stress of any game of the series. It's, it's, Why is it, that? Because I just, I don't blame the break if you want to, but I'm not content, but I'm, I'm, ex- I'm accepting of whatever the outcome may be in game six. Does that make sense? Well, if they if lose, they I go, if they win game seven is going to be a shit show. Cool. My, my brain sure. <laughs> is going to be all over the place. There's going to be fingernail chewings all around me. It's going to be nasty. But game six, whatever happens, I'm good with it. Kings are at home. I mean, look, all they got to do is play. Just keep it close. And yeah. you're going to have a chance. That's really yeah. what it comes down to. The, you know, four out of the five games show that. The Kings were in every game yep. except... Game five. Yeah, I hesitate. It's not impossible. It's, no, it's definitely not no, impossible. You don't get nothing for three. Daryl Sutter. Yep. That's the right quote. <laughs> uh, so next time we, we record, will be after the series. Yep. Whenever that may be. Hopefully it's after game seven. And hopefully it's after a game seven win. I would like that. That sounds like a fun episode. Let's do that. Vegas awaiting the winner of this series. Yeah. A lot of people saying winner of the series goes to the final. What do you think? Not if it's the Kings. <laughs> well then. I just I sorry, man. They they still have a gauntlet to run if they win the series. A rested Vegas team is not gonna be No, they're not gonna be fun. I I don't disagree with that, but Colorado seems to be on the ropes. A little bit. That's an so that's, that's an interesting series, man. I give full marks to Seattle. I mean, we've we've played Seattle a few times this year, and I have been just aggravated watching. Like, yeah. it's another one of those Very games tough. where you watch it and you go, "This does does not look like fun out there." And they are bringing that kind of game consistently against Colorado right now. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I guess um, it's episode ninety nine. We're almost there. Crazy times for us. Uh, over a thousand followers now. Thank you all for following, for listening. It's I, I didn't think really. we'd do it, but you guys did it. You crazy. You the playoffs crazy are a people. wild time. Playoffs are a wild time. Uh, Wayne Gretzky episode. Really, we're just gonna give that away like that? I think so. Yeah. All right. Fine. The power <laughs> were, of Wayne. Were you gonna ask me like no how many ninety <laughs> No. <laughs> That was sarcasm. That was sarcasm on my part, obviously. Just making sure, buddy. But we got the power of Wayne behind us on this episode, guys. So the power of Wayne compels the Kings to win game six. Absolutely perfect because 1993, let's go back for a second. Ah, this is game six. Now we're in your wheelhouse, baby. Let's (laughs) let's talk about it. Game six, Toronto, LA. uh, Campbell Conference final. Kings look like they were dead in the water. Down 3-2. 
Gretzky OT winner sends it to Game 7. Gretzky in Game 7, performance of a lifetime. Hattrick sends the Kings to the finals. I was the happiest 10-year-old you could find in the world at that point in time. And it is a perfect time, I think, to think about that series because the Kings have an opportunity to do exactly that. I don't know which who's going to be the Wayne Gretzky in this equation, but there could be one, Barty. There could be There's one. There's potential. There's definitely enough talent there. And against another Canadian team, too. That's that's key here. That's real that key. That is key. Who, who's, who's the media picking on? Let me see. Because they were picking on Gretzky, talking about he's skating like he has a piano on his back, yada, yada, yada. They poked the bear. Bad things happened. Yeah. I don't. Who are they poking at here, do you think? Not Kopi. The refs? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's Fiala time. Maybe I would love Fiala that. Time. I would love that. I would love Kevin to go full Kevin Supernova. I would appreciate that very much. I mean, hell, it could be his last game or two games of the season. My my buddy uh, texted me before game uh, game five, and he's Canadian. He's from Toronto, so he's rooting on the Leafs and everything. And so he said, he was asking about the Oilers game. He said, who's, who's winning game five? That's straight up what he said. And my answer was, this series is going seven. I just don't know how it's getting there. Mm, I like that. So I'll stick to that. I thought it was Oilers in six, but now I'll say it's going to seven. I just don't know how it, you know, how it's going to end. I think that's a poetic note to end on, Vardy. I like it. Take us home. Thank you, everyone. Keep the twin reaction coming. It's it's been overwhelmingly positive. I will say that. There's there's always going to be some people who need to throw out their negative thoughts or whatever. You know, it's fine. You don't. We don't need everyone to agree with us. We just we just want a nice, cordial, logical conversation. If you're if you're just going to yell stuff for the sake of yelling stuff because it makes you happy, go at it. But don't expect a response from us. You know. But otherwise, thank you, everyone. We appreciate all the follows. We appreciate all the love. We we love interacting with people and. Still every day, it's kind of crazy that, that this has all gotten to this point, but we, we truly, truly enjoy it and we enjoy all the positive feedback. So please keep that coming. Like, subscribe. Uh, we're pretty much everywhere you can find a podcast these days. Um, hopefully we got a, we got a fancy, fun episode coming after this one and not a, not a postmortem. 100 coming up. 100. 100 coming. Go Kings go. Let's do it. You've been listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast.